The scripture reading this morning is taken from Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 9, 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. So do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs, you, it costs all you have, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to graze your head and present you with a glorious crown. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4 But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first from all to put their religion into practice by carrying their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The um, title for the sermon this morning is The Training Ground of Education is Family. Let's invite uh, Reverend Gabriel. Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> Just to make sure that you are awake, right? Uh, some of you may remember what I preached on uh, two months ago, uh, quite a long while ago, um, when I talked about religious education and our conclusion. I hope it's just not just my conclusion, but our conclusion is that moral lessons can't produce morally upright students. Right? People can go through moral lessons, uh, whatever years uh, they spend in school, and that is not decisive whether they will turn out to be good uh, people with morals, good moral values or not. And so we stop at there, right? But this morning we're going to pick that up and uh, we will look at the answer to that. You know, what kind of uh, environment or rather what actually produces people, students, children who are morally upright. And the answer is on the screen, the training ground of education, not just uh, the academic education. We are talking about education in terms of whole life education, teaching our children to know how to behave, to be morally upright, to be spiritually mature, you know, to know the right things and do the right things. So the training ground of education is family. Right, the training ground of education is family. Right, so you already know the answer. What is the difference between between moral classes and family? Moral classes, you are, you can imagine the class setting with the textbook. It's a subject called moral, and the teacher is going to open up the textbook and tell you one, two, three. You should do this. You should do that, and that's it. End of the story. But for family you are talking about people here people who will invest 
our time, our energy, our everything, whole life education on our children. Now, there are two passages given to me for the sermon this morning, but the first one comes from the Old Testament. So we will spend time to look at Proverbs and we will look at the Old Testament's understanding, the Jewish understanding of parenting. And then we will move on very quickly to look at the verse from New Testament and look at how they apply even in the New Testament church. So without further ado, we will start with Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1. Read together with me. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. Now, if you have read through Proverbs, which I believe you have, you realize that the whole book of Proverbs pans as a, in a, a picture, an illustration, a picture of a father uh, trying to convince, trying to teach his children, right? Throughout the whole book of Proverbs, the fatherly figure instructing his sons or his children on spiritual matters. Now, the Jewish people, the Jewish community, their understanding of uh, parenthood is very. Uh, rather different from the modern days uh, people understanding on, on uh, parenting, right? The Jewish people, they emphasize a lot on the parents to bring up their children in the fear of the Lord. And so here, the sons are supposed to listen to a father's instruction. Uh, fathers and not school teachers, not moral teachers, are the ones who will teach the way of life to their children. Fathers, and you can of course include the mothers, right? We don't want to be exclusive. And uh, indeed, it includes the mother as well. So the children are supposed to listen to their parents' instruction uh, regard, regards to, with regards to the ways of life, not the uh, religious leaders, uh, not the priests, uh, not any other person, but the fathers, the mothers here who will teach the wisdom of life to their children. And so started with Proverbs chapter 1 and even this verse here, chapter 4 verse 1, it says here, listen my sons to a father's instruction. And so home is the primary ground for uh, you know, educating our children among the Jewish community. Home is where the, ch the child receives instruction on matters of worldview, how they should look at the world, how they should think on matters of uh, morals, what are the good things that they can do, what are the bad things that they cannot do, of religious knowledge, how to celebrate uh, Passover, um, Sukkot and some other festive season of uh, religious knowledge and of wisdom as well. How to go about in life, making good decisions and bad decisions. And you have heard months ago, um, we touch on Deuteronomy 6, Deuteronomy 11. Parents, you are supposed to talk about these things. Talk about the law of God. Talk about um, the wisdom of life, knowledge of life, knowledge of God as you walk with your children, as you lie down with them, as you eat with them, whenever you can. Given the opportunities, you know, you should do this all days long. My friends, one of the biggest crises of the 21st century Christ Christianity is the losing of the next generation Christians. We don't feel that here, perhaps not that obvious. Turn to look around you, you still see little children, not as many as last time, 
you still see youths in our church not as many as last time just turn and look around you right now okay maybe they are at Sunday school <laughs> classroom right now but comparatively comparatively speaking even at this side of our world in Sarawak we are losing the next generation Christians more so for countries like the US the Western uh, churches they have lost their next generation Christians and why what is the reason for that if you ask me I would say it's because we have felt in the area of home discipleship as parents we don't have enough time for our children right modern families modern parents we don't have enough time for our children to train them out in the fear of the Lord and so let us look at the verse again and ask ourselves is this the picture of our home is this the picture of our home discipleship do our children do our sons and daughters listen to our instruction pay attention and gain understanding do we have time for our children especially during their formative years some people say the formative years are 0 to 12 years old some say it's like 0 to 7 when, when they're slightly older it's okay you know but nonetheless when they are young when our children are young do we have time for them do we have influence over them or is someone else making influence having influence over our children and what kind of worldview is being given is being planted in our children what kind of moral values are being passed down to our children if we have no time for them now let us look at verse 2 and uh, let us read together I give you sound learning so do not forsake my teaching now the fatherly figure here the father figure in Proverbs here urges the son to not forsake my teaching his teaching and in my years of uh, pastoring I have some visitors uh, we have some friends from my previous church uh, Emmanuel Methodist Church and, and so um, yeah, they can, they can perhaps uh, testify and in my years of pastoring one of the things that I've heard from parents especially parents with children who are in the teenage years 13 to 70 years old some of the parents feedback to us and say that uh, pastor would you please talk to my teenage child you know my children or they may not talk to me they may talk to the advisors of the MJYF and say you know uh, brother who or sister who can you talk to my children because he or she won't listen to me right my teenage boy my teenage girl won't listen to me this is one of the complaints one of the feedback that I've heard from parents parents uh you know, wanted the pastors and the church leaders to speak the truth, to speak the right teaching into the lives of their children simply because they thought that their children don't want to listen to them. And for me, it is quite a sad situation here. Um, it's quite saddening to hear that. Either the parenting style must change the way the parents relate to the children or... There's another possibility that the parents have underestimated their influence in the lives of their children. The parents have under, 
overestimated their influence on, in the lives of their children. I remember years ago, there was this uh, youth camp, MJYF camp, that we organised uh, back in uh, EMC. And I deliberately asked 50 over youths who were there, who were present. I don't know whether Angel and Carol, you still remember what I asked that time. But I asked them to write down uh, three most influential figures in their lives. 50 over youths, 13 to 17 years old. I asked them to write down one, two, three, the most influential figures, persons in their lives. And as parents, you may think like, oh, maybe they will write down my BFF. As parents, you may think like, oh, maybe because my, my children have respect for the pastors, so they will write down Pastor Gabriel. Or because they love their Sunday school teachers, so they will write down Sunday school teachers. Or they love their teachers, they listen to their teachers at school, so they will write down teachers. But no, when I receive the papers and I look at them carefully, and I'm not exaggerating, right? Over 95% and above of these youths wrote down parents my dad and my mom and most of them write the first one right they write it on the first column parents some of them write it at the second column because the first one they wrote Jesus right but nonetheless they wrote down parents as one of the top influential figures persons who impact their lives and it must be true because I, I wasn't asking the parents you know what do you think whether your children think that you are influential in their life or not no I was asking again youths in their teenage years in their so-called rebellious years 13 to 70 years old I asked them who are the most influential figures in their lives in your life and they answered my parents and so parents among us if you if you are thinking that, you know, how come I cannot just cross over and talk to my children about some of the things that I want him or her to learn. Think again. Don't underestimate your influence because your children think that you are more influential than the pastor. I didn't see my name on the list. I think once or twice only on the paper. Proverbs 4, 3. Let us read together. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. In the Jewish community, there is this understanding of continuity in faith, of multi-generational discipleship taking place in the community, in the family. This father here is able to give sound teaching only because he had first received it diligently from his own father, right? I too, in a similar way, I too was a son to my father. I too listened to my mother. He has first listened and followed the way of life that was taught by his parents. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, it is important Often we emphasize the aspect of uh, faith being our individual decision, right? We must each make our own decision to believe in Jesus. It's an individual decision. We can't make decisions for other people, which is true, by the way. 
but it's not to the extent of neglecting this dimension, this aspect of multi-generational um, disciple-making or the continuity of faith. I don't know if you've heard some Christian parents who say this. Um, let my children decide for themselves next time whether they want to come to worship God on Sunday. Let my children decide whether they want to become a Christian or not. As parents, I want to respect my, my, my children. I want to give them the freedom uh, of choice. I want to you know, give them uh, their rights to decide for themselves whether they want to be baptized here or whether they want to you know believe in uh, anything you know I just want to give them that respect but the irony is this we never ask our young children whether or not they want to go to school right we never ask our one two years old whether or not you want to drink this brand of milk powder or the other brand of milk powder no we decide for them why because we know that when they were young, when our children were young, they, were, they are not matured enough to make good decisions in their life. So we decide the best milk powder around. I don't know what is the best milk powder, by the way, but we will decide for them. We look at the content, you know, the nutrients, and then we say, this is the best for you. So we decide for our children. We go around looking for the best school. If money is not an issue, you know, we make the best decision. We send them to the best school. We give them the best food. We give them the best that we can afford because we care for them. We really love our, love our children. But when it comes to religious matter, this is the irony. We say it's too early. We let them decide for themselves. This is the irony because religious matter is the matter of life and death. It should be the most important issue in the lives of our children and yet we neglect this part. The other part, we diligently plan for them. We make plans for them. We make sure they follow through except this part about religious life, about faith. For far too long, Christian families have taken too lightly the matter on family discipleship, the matter of sharpening the moral compass of our children, the matter of forming a biblically grounded worldview among our children. And if we are not doing that, if, if we are not helping them to come up with a right worldview, right moral values, guess who are trying to influence them? Proverbs 4, 4 Then he taught me and he said to me Take hold of my words with all your heart Keep my commands and you will live The phrase here, you will live is not just talking about bodily life or physical life Because the, the child is alive Right? As we talk to the, the, this father talking to the children The children are alive right? So it's not just physically alive But also the expert on spiritual life. As Christians, we don't just stay alive bodily, physically before the Lord. We need to be alive for Jesus before God. In Paul's word, to the world, I'm dead, but to Christ, I am alive. Last Sunday, I was uh, with the 
uh, English uh, MJYF youths, once again, youths. And I was talking to them and it just so happened that we stumbled upon this topic. And I shared with them. And this morning, I'm sharing with you. Um, I heard this from a comedian who said this. And he, I think he's, he's true in pointing this out. This comedian said, a lot of Asian parents want their children to grow up becoming a... You know the answer. In terms of work, a lot of Asian parents expect or desire... Okay, let's use the word desire. A lot of Asian parents desire their children to grow up becoming a... You don't know the answer? The Chinese service, they... They, 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 they know the answer very clear. Let me try it again. A lot of Asian parents desire their children growing up to become a... <laughs> or the other stream. Or the... Okay, well, you know the answer. It's true, right? Isn't it true? But this comedian continues to say that helping people is not on the list of why they expect their children to be a doctor or lawyer. Or maybe helping people is the list on, you know, the reasons why they want their children to grow up becoming a doctor, becoming a lawyer. What is the reason we, we expect our children, you know, we desire, if, if can now, if can. If academically they are, they are good and if money is not an issue, then we want our children, we desire them to be doctor and lawyer. Why? Guys, why? The answer is money. Correct. It's very sad, you know. Don't you think it's very sad? Why is it sad? I'll explain. The reason why when we talk about career path with our youths, because I think hardly anyone of us talking about job next time with our three years old, four years old. So most of these conversations take place when they are youths, right? 13 to 70 years old. They are thinking about when they are going for, uh, where they are going for study, you know, whether Australia or elsewhere. So this is the time when we talk, talk with them about their, their, their job next time, career path. The reason why we want our children to be doctors, a lawyer, a boy, a girl, be a doctor, you will earn good money. You won't be bullied by, you know, you have a good job with a good pay. Or if you want to be a teacher also, okay, stable job, you know. In Chinese, it's called Tiefangwan, right? Be a government civil servant, then you won't lose your job that easily. You'll be the last one to lose your job. As long as the government is around, then you have your job around. That is what we say to our children. My question is, where is the God factor? Have we ever, ever, ever asked our children, hey, what do you think is God's purpose for you in life? When you think about your career path in the future, have we ever asked our children, child, what is the passion that God has given you? What is the godly purpose that you must aim to achieve? What is God trying to do with your life? If God were to call you to be a doctor, what is He trying to 
use you, you know? How is He trying to use you to minister to the sick people? Not just to their body, but also to their soul. If you are a teacher, if God calls you to be a teacher, what is God, God's purpose for you in your life as you take on that job as a teacher to extend your love and care to your students? And perhaps, you know, if opportunities arise, then you can bring them before Jesus even. Hardly we talk about these things, right? Faith factor as we talk about career path with our children. My friends, your home is the training ground, is the educational ground for your children as you groom them, as you bring them up in the fear of the Lord. What kind of training ground is your home? What are some of the best advices we give to our children? Is there a biblical basis to our advices? Is it because I prefer my children to do this and so they should do that? Or is it because the Bible says this and so this is how I teach my children to do what I expect them to do. That's the tone in Proverbs chapter 4, whether you realise or not, the fatherly figure here is trying his best to wing his children, trying to educate his children. Listen to me, not because I prefer this or that. Listen to me because I too have listened to my parents and it's not there in the verse that we read, but can you imagine where these advices, where this word of life, this wisdom of life come from? The song that we sang just now, Good, Good Father God. I received this instruction from my parents. My parents received that from his or her parents and the parents, grandparents receive it from the Good, Good Father. And it's on that basis that I'm educating and bringing up my children in the fear of the Lord. Not because I want them to make big money. Nothing wrong with making big money. But if that is the, the only aim in our life and that's the top purpose, that's the top agenda that we have for our children, no wonder we are losing them in the church. We lose it to the world because the world can provide job opportunities. Am I right? We lose them to the world because the world can provide the kind of things that we want them to pursue and they can't find it here in church. They find it in the outside world and that's why we are losing them, whether or not we realise it or not. Where is the faith factor as we bring up our children? We talk a lot. We neck a lot as parents, right? We use our words to educate our children. But education, as you have, <laughs> you should have realised by now, education is not just about words. Otherwise, moral lesson can produce morally upright students. Just words, just read the textbook. Just tell them you should do this, you should be honest, you should, uh, you know, show filial piety to your, your, your parents, you, sh you should love your, your fellow comrades, you know. Just words. It doesn't work. We believe, we know that moral lessons do not automatically produce morally upright students. So it's not just about words. We want our children to become the kind of person that we talk about. Next time, you better be a good person. We talk about this. We talk it to them. We neck them. 
Next time, you better uh, show filial piety to me. Next time, you better love God. Next time, you better go to church. Next time, you better, you know, make the right decisions in life. We talk a lot, but often at times, our children, all the time, not often at times, our children only grow up as they imitate us, as they look at us. They will see whether the words that my parents are saying are the same as their actions, are the same as their walk. Are my parents really who they say they are? Are my parents really who they ask me to become? Or is they are just flowery, flowery words around that abound? My, my friends, your influence at home is only as much as your faithfulness. Let me repeat that. Your influence at home is only as much as your faithfulness in your walk with God. Verse 6. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you, love her, and she will watch over you. Now from this verse onwards, wisdom is personified. Wisdom takes on the character, uh, takes on the, the like of a human, right? She will protect you. She will watch over you. It's like the language of uh, personify, like personification, language of a person that protects you, a person that watch over you. And verse 8 and 9 as well, wisdom, uh, cherish her and she will exhort you. Embrace her and she will honour you you, right? She will grace your head and uh, present you with a glorious crown. When wisdom is personified, when wisdom is embodied, takes on the body kind of image, what does it mean? What does it, what, what is it trying to tell us? You know, what does it mean? We should take heart. The meaning of this matter is this. Wisdom is not like a subject to be studied but more like a person to be embraced. The reason why moral classes cannot create morally outright students because it is a subject that is taught at school. It's a textbook that you know, anyone can, can, can just open up and just read the words. The reason why home or family can really form a person is because it is people that we are talking about here. Because it's lives that we are talking about here. It's people to people. It's not subject to people. It's not just words to people. It's life to life. It's parents to children. It is siblings to siblings. You know, it's the kind of thing that we are talking about here. So wisdom, when wisdom is personified, wisdom is found where life is found. How do you see wisdom? This question is like, how do you see God? How do we see God in our church? If you read New Testament, you, you should know that, you know, there's a verse that talks about people outside. The people, the world can see God, especially God's love among us as we, what? Love one another. When we show love, when we show care to one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's when the world can see that God dwells among us. And so where do you see wisdom? 
when parents, when siblings, when people love one another. And this love is not a selfish kind of love. This love is not a self-centered kind of love. This love is a biblically grounded love. We love because He first loves us. And so wisdom is found where people are found. And not just any people, but people who embody the truth of God. People who put into practice the Word of God, the life of God. And this way our children can see, yeah, I can see wisdom in my parents' life. I can absorb wisdom. It's not just a subject now, but I agree with my parents because I see the benefit that my parents reap. I exalt wisdom. I cherish her. I honour, uh, sorry, I, I, um, yeah, I, I embody, I, I embrace wisdom like a person and not just a subject. Wisdom is embodied when Christians embrace wisdom. And wisdom is being showcast as a person rather than a subject or a concept or a theory. I want to move on to the New Testament verse in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 4, where we can find an application. And that's how I close my, my sermon this morning. So shall we read together the last verse this morning? But if a widow has children or grandchildren, this should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Look at the verse, put their religion into practice. That's where you find wisdom. That's where you find truth. That's where you find faithfulness. That's where you find life. You know, in the New Testament, uh, during the early church, one of the good things that come out is that Christians, as they believe in Jesus, they begin to show uh, compassion to the less fortunate people. And last week, last Sunday, we have heard Brother James T preach on this, you know, the Christian uh, uh, social concern. And indeed, I affirm that the church should play our part in social concern, just like the early church did. We show our care, we show our, our love, um, we, we are mindful of the last, the least and the lost. As the early church cares for the many widows, the poor people, the orphans, you know, the less fortunate, and we read that in Acts as well, the hands of the apostles were full, the hands of the deacons. So the apostles can't handle the, the, the ministry, you know, because it, it, it grew. Too many uh, poor people, because words, you know, pass around and so the poor people that receive help from church and so they say you know why not we also bring this less fortunate brother before the church and so so that the church can help this family why not we bring that widow also before the church and so the church can care for the family the widow the orphan the orphans as well right so that happened and so when the hands of the apostles are full they appointed deacons and and uh, whatever you know the deacons the brothers and even these deacons, these brothers, their hands were also full because the ministry is ever expanding as more and more people become Christians. You know, they, they begin to, um, yeah, more and more people receive help from the church. And this is where I believe 
is the wisdom from the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and, and Paul affirm it here as he writes, for those of you who are Christians, you should take care of your own widows. Perhaps a sister, perhaps a brother, perhaps um, a cousin. If a widow has children or grandchildren, this should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice and not just send them to the church and that's it. It's none of my business. My parents with the church and I don't need to do anything at all. This is not how it should be like. You know, as Christians, children, the context here, as Christian grandchildren, they should know, they should put in practice the love of God, the Word of God, the care of a brotherly or sisterly, whatever, love of God upon their parents, upon their grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. Now, this is an example. This is an example of application. So it's not just limited to the relationship between the child and parent or the grandchild to the grandparent, but you can expand this. The principle is the same. At home, we must embody wisdom. And the only way that we can embody wisdom is to put into practice the Word of God, the truth that we have already known. Our children will look at us and they will compare our words with our actions. Then they will decide whether Christianity is the way for them because they won't want to live a hypocrite life. Our spouse will look at us and they will know whether we are the same person at home as at, in the church. And our spouse will know then whether we are really a genuine Christian and that will impact them, especially non-believing uh, spouses to make a decision for themselves whether they want to embrace Jesus or not. And so my, my prayer for all of us this morning is that we will indeed obey the Word of God. We will indeed exhort wisdom because wisdom is not a subject wisdom is not a textbook wisdom is found when life is found wisdom is found when people are found and not just any kind of people but people who are faithful in their work and their walk with God let us live out God's will starting with ourselves in our family questions for reflection the first one family is the training ground for holiness how is your family doing in this matter? As parents, what is the will of God for you? As children, what is the will of God for you? Let us spend a bit of time before the Lord reflecting upon these questions and respond in our personal prayer right now.